When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On the reservation, there are spoken rules and unspoken rules. Don't go out in the woods after dark, but if you do, don't you dare answer the call of something unseen speaking your name. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I brag about using Ovaltine chocolate milk as my pre-workout mix. Today, I've got an assortment of allegedly true scary stories featuring Native American reservation stories, alien encounters, and more unexplained supernatural goodness. Enjoy, and remember to send me your true scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them. Also, check out my other scary podcasts at eeriecast.com or by searching EerieCast on your favorite podcast app. Now, let's begin. Something Imitating Our Cows in the Fields From Anonymous I was at my grandfather's farm, which is on Native American land in Wisconsin. My dad had made jokes about the farm being an old Indian burial ground, which now I kind of believe. This supernatural thing I encountered that night heavily unsettled me, as now I know that past experiences my dad and uncle had with supposed wendigos and skinwalkers might be true. Now, on to what happened. I had just finished up shuffling corn silage into our blower, heading up to my dad's old square-body truck to drive over to mine to work on it. I drove over there and got the treble light out, plugged it in, and popped the hood on my truck. I just hung the treble light on my hood when I heard the cows bellowing. Now, I would have shaken this off as normal, but it was coming from the direction of our fields. I drove my dad's truck down to the barn to tell him. He then told me to go check the gates to see if the cows had ripped them down. But the gates were still up. I had the truck running with the lights on, and I shut it off. The same bellowing noises came from the fields, only now more distorted. Like it wasn't coming from cattle, it was coming from something trying to imitate the cows. It was too high pitch and almost sounded like it was crackling. I went ahead and drove my dad's truck back up to my truck. I put the light away and closed up the big steel shed my truck was next to. All the while, the sounds of those quote-unquote cows got more distorted, like some sort of unnatural animal both breathing and screaming very loudly. The bellows were happening in quick succession. This wasn't normal. Our cows never sounded like that. 
I was walking back to my dad's truck when I heard possibly the most unsettling sounds in about five seconds. From two different directions came two loud screams, not ear-piercing, but still plenty loud. Then, from the same direction that the cow sounds had come from, I heard coyotes howling. I bolted to the truck and hit the gas, not wanting to find out what could mimic cows and coyotes. I told my dad about it, and he asked what it was. I just told him I would tell him in the truck. Then he did what I didn't want him to do. He began to say, oh, skinwalker, a skinwalker. I yelled at him not to say its name. Eventually, we went back to the shed. Our farm yard isn't too big. From the shed where my truck is to the barn can't be more than 25 yards. But eventually, we went back up there with my grandpa's truck. Once there, my dad swapped the receiver hitch so we could hook it up to a kickbail wagon that my grandpa was going to bring back to our neighbors in the morning. I didn't want to be there much longer, so this didn't make anything at all better. Now, what makes everything about this story worse is that we have these stereotypical tall cornfields. It's good for business this year. They're probably 12 feet high in some places, but I hate the fact that something could be hiding in there so easily. I'm sorry if the writing was sloppy, but I'm really shaken up by this, and I'm probably not in the right headspace. If I encounter anything more regarding this, I'll let you know. Now, if you're still wondering about what my dad and uncle might have seen, I can tell you here. The story goes that it was the early 2000s. My dad and his older brother were out cutting firewood around late fall or early winter. It would get dark around that time, around 4.30 p.m. My uncle alerted my dad to something chasing deer across the field and on a hill. Whatever it was, it was gaining on the deer, and according to my dad, it looked half wolf and half ape. So yeah, that's that. Not sure if that would be a wendigo or a skinwalker. The worst part about all this is that the cows were up near our cow yard, which was near the fields, and to me it seemed like something was out there trying to communicate with them, trying to lure one or more away. Our cows aren't allowed out in our fields either, so this really scared me, and while writing this, I just heard breathing through my AC in my room. So, yeah... Maybe I'll just go cry now. The Wenchuge and the Wendigo From Sea Spirit 81 I'm Native American. I've lived on a reservation my entire life. The res is surrounded by a thick blanket of pine trees, but after the first few meters, it thins out. Normally, the forest is bustling with hunters, trappers, and the occasional hiker, but the elders of the res forbid anyone from staying in there past dark. Of course, no one actually enforces the rule. It's just like a superstition. There are a lot of superstitions around the res, but this is the most prominent. Around winter break of my senior year, me and my friends had snuck out to do what teens do. Be way too loud and drink enough alcohol to clean out a full-body paper cut. It was me and my two buddies. Let's call them J and B. Me, J, and B were hanging out by an old rusty pickup that had been there since before we were born. It had broken down on the edge of the res and had been there ever since. We were having a philosophical conversation about the passage of time, since our adolescence was almost over, and soon we would spout into responsibility. 
we had nearly polished off the bottle when, out of nowhere, a squad car of all things began to round the corner. Now, we were 18, which is one year away from legal drinking age in Canada, so naturally, we took off. We ran straight through the woods. I wasn't thinking about the warnings that had been drilled into me since childhood. I was thinking about what my dad would do to me if he found out what I was doing out here. While I tried to keep track of my surroundings and not throw up at the same time, I quickly lost track of B and J. I stopped in a clearing, grabbing my knees to catch my breath. In between gasps, I let out an audible, dang it. While my eyes adjusted to the newfound darkness, I tried to look around to see where I was. Suddenly, it hit me. Reality set back in. I was in the woods, in the dark, halfway to passing out, and based on my surroundings, I was lost. I'd run track in high school, and although I never got any medals, I was still pretty darn fast. But even in my intoxicated state, I knew that I should not have been able to run out of sight from the res. Just as that sobering reality set in, I heard something that made my nausea worse. From maybe 30 feet next to me, in the brush, I heard my own voice. But it wasn't exactly me, if that makes sense. It was more like I was talking through static. Something out there had repeated my words. Dang it. Dang it. Just as it said that, the forest was met with complete silence. I stood there, shocked. I thought, or rather hoped, it was just one of my friends, but that thought was quickly extinguished when the thing repeated. Dang it. Dang it. Exactly as it had before. I didn't think about running. I knew that if I did, this thing would chase me. At least, that's what I thought it would do. But what happened next was much worse. A large bunch began to shake violently, and all I could do was watch from my petrified state as the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in my life stepped out of the brush. It stood nearly nine feet tall. It was deathly thin and seemed to be rotting. Its body was covered in matted patches of fur, its legs bent backwards like a goat. When my eyes met its head, I nearly soiled myself. Its head was similar to a deer skull, but instead it held flaming yellow eyes and teeth sharpened to a point. As this monster slowly lumbered towards me, I tried desperately to run, but my body remained frozen. I never did understand how a person could be frozen in fear until that very moment. The thing was only a few feet away, my life flashing before my eyes, tears dropping from my face with each terrible slow step the beast took. Suddenly, a flash of white. The monster was no longer in front of me. It took me a second to even realize the thing was gone, but when I did, I looked over to see where it was. Now it was lying on the ground, and on top of it was what looked to be a pale man. At least I thought it was a man. What I saw had ungodly pale skin, thin ribs, and stretched limbs. The thing on top the creature's chest was clawing and kicking and screaming at it. God, that screaming. It echoed throughout the woods. It only took about four seconds of that screaming before my motor skills finally came back to me. My mind was screaming at me to run. It didn't matter where, 
just away from these two abominations in front of me. I ran for 20 minutes straight without stopping until I came to the highway that led to the reservation, and once I got there, I threw up on the pavement. It took another 10 minutes to walk to the res, and the entire time I was terrified that those things would come back. When I got home, I realized I'd lost my keys, so I banged on the door until my dad came to answer it. I must have smelled pretty bad, because the first thing he did wasn't punish me, instead he looked concerned and asked what had happened. I was too tired, so I just passed out on the couch. When I woke up, I finally explained myself with a lie, telling him some bogus story about a bear. There is a bit of an epilogue to this story. A few days later, I asked around. I had questions that needed to be answered. I asked about who I should talk to for spiritual guidance. Everywhere I went, I was pointed to one lady, an elder in the center of town. I came to her and we spoke in her living room. I asked her about the things I saw, and this is what she said. She told me of the Wendigo and the Wechuge, two spirits similar in nature. The Wendigo is a spirit that can take over your body when you partake in the eating of your own kind. It will turn you into a ferocious creature that craves nothing more than raw flesh. A Wendigo's skin is said to be resilient. They can mimic voices almost perfectly, but they're ruthless and cunning. A Wendigo will do anything to get its prey, except compromise its hidden nature. A Wechuge is a spirit of vengeance. When a weak person becomes strong and uses his strength to pick on the weak, they will become susceptible to the Wechuge. This will turn them into a deer-skulled, goat-legged creature, which lives to humiliate. They look to kill people in humiliating ways, like mocking them with their staticky voices or using their claws to mark their body. Wachuge have weak skin but heal quickly. They will always eat a portion of their victims as a sign of dominance, but their host can still be persuaded. Whereas when a Wendigo takes over, it can control the victim in whole. But even if you can reason with a Wachuge sometimes, they're not likely to listen. When the elder finished telling me this, I asked, which do you think won? And she told me this, both are fast, strong, and cunning, but the Wendigo is more so. A Wachuge's wrath is no match for the hunger of a Wendigo. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. 
With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. I was a skeptic. From Sanderson 550. I recently started backpacking, but the adventure got stale. Not that I didn't have fun with it, but it just stopped scratching that itch. Soon I found out about stealth camping. That was more promising. Note from the narrator here, stealth camping is where you camp outside of designated camping areas, sometimes in places where you're not allowed to be camping and without permission. Anyway, back to the story. After a few stealth camps under my belt, and all my friends being impressed by my latest cemetery campouts, I knew I was onto something. One night after leaving the bar, I decided to sneak down to an area owned by the city. It was part of a park near the river. My plan was simple. Hike down to the park, move toward the river, find a clear spot, and set up my bivy for the night, and leave before dawn. So far, everything was going as planned. I curled up in my sleeping bag and looked at the sky. It was a perfect night. No one knew where I was. I felt so free. Before long, I was dozing off to the music of crickets, frogs, and cicadas. At some point, I woke up. Nature was calling, but then something else actually called out. Steve. Someone had said my name. But who and why? No one knew I was here, as I said before. If anyone needed me, they would have texted my phone or called me. I ignored it while I took care of business. Then again, a voice not quite male and not quite female, but just enough to confuse me, called out again. Steve. My mind raced back to all the stories I've been told. Then a certain lesson I'd been told as a child took hold of me. I acted accordingly to that old rule to never answer if something calls your name in the woods. It made sense now. Years of mockery have now faced me. Years of laughing at superstition have now offered me hope. Years of hearing how to deal with the unnamed that calls you in the night would save me. I obeyed what the elders of my youth instructed. I did not answer those calls. I ignored them as best I could. I crawled back into my sleeping bag and bivy and held on until dawn. Eventually, I heard crows and I saw daylight. I crawled out and packed up and got the heck out of there. I now believe. Don't go in the woods at night. Don't whistle at night. Don't answer if it calls your name and never speak its name. I only needed to obey one of these rules this time. I added the rest for those who might mock but need them later, just as I did. The Boy With No Eyes From Caribou, 1996 The time in my life this story took place was not a good time. A couple of years before this, I had escaped an abusive relationship with my ex, who was a sociopath. I moved in with my sister, who I later discovered had narcissistic personality disorder, 
and so did the majority of my family, it seemed. So I had a very rough and abusive upbringing. When I moved in with my sister, S, it always seemed she had something supernatural following her. Some sort of entity that was dark and angry. There were times where I would be alone in my room and I would feel something watching me. I would feel as if my life was in danger. My youngest nephew, who I'll call Issy, was four at the time and would refuse to go into S's room because there was either a dragon or monster in her room, according to him. One time, something kicked me across the room, and at the time I was still very overweight, so knocking me off my feet wasn't easy. S was very abusive. There was a lot of bad stuff going on behind closed doors when I was living with her and my two nephews. Maybe all her abuse and negativity attracted some demonic entities, but I can't be sure. Now, on to the specific event I'm writing about. It was a Saturday, which for me was my day off. My oldest nephew, who I'll call G, was outside playing, and my youngest nephew, Issy, was in one of the two bedrooms playing, which was fine. I was in the living room watching The Hunger Games, trying to relax a little, before S got home from work. Until then, the boys were my responsibility. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment, so the layout wasn't too big. Now, Issy oftentimes likes to find candy in his mother's room, and he will run under the table and eat it. Well, as I was on the couch watching TV, I saw who I thought was Issy run under the table, and I heard him giggle. Still sitting on the couch, I said in a slightly stern voice, Issy, get out from under the table. I then heard who I thought was Issy giggle once again. I got a little bit more stern and said, Issy, get out from under the table now. I'm going to count to three. As promised, I began counting. When I got to two, Issy emerged. Not from under the table, though, but from my bedroom. He looked, confused, and said to me, What, Auntie? I froze. I looked at Issy, then I looked at the table. The little boy who I thought was Issy was still under the table, giggling. I looked at the real Issy and said, Go into the room, sweetie, and close the door, please. Issy turned around and went into the room, closing the door as I had requested. Slowly, I got up, and I walked up to the table. I could very clearly still see the little boy's legs crossed while sitting there, hearing him giggle again. Hesitantly, I knelt down, gripping the tablecloth hard. I heard the boy giggle once more, almost as if he was mocking me, knowing that I could see him from there, knowing that I knew he wasn't Issy. I quickly lifted the cloth, and I saw it, pale, almost white as snow skin. Under the table sat a little boy with dark brown hair and a long white shirt that went down to his knees. He was sitting crisscross, his head facing his lap. I heard him giggle again, and he slowly lifted his head up to look at me. My heart dropped as I saw that this little boy had no eyes, just black pits. He tilted his head and smiled at me as he got up and ran into my sister's room. I watched him go into her closet, and when I opened the door, he was gone. He had just vanished. I am a Christian, so I got my anointing oil and closed my sister's door, anointing the door to seal it in there. I knew that I couldn't get it out. 
After that, I grabbed my nephews and took them for a walk to the park, which was around half a mile down the road. We were going to stay there until their mother got back. Once she arrived, I told her what happened. She got mad. She said there had been something following her, but she refused to accept that she may have done anything to cause it to follow her. She became more and more hostile to me, and as she got worse, I began seeing and experiencing more paranormal activity. Nowadays, I'm completely free from my family. My sister is obsessed with me now. She's been trying to stalk me. I had to change my number and move to where no one could find me. I'm still healing all that I've endured, but I'm happy now. I just got married and I haven't experienced anything else like this, not since escaping my family. But that's my story. Some may believe it, others might think I'm lying, and that's okay. It just feels nice to get this story off my chest. Ghost Story From Jellybean XX This took place when I was about 12 years old. I remember it to this day because it's just something you don't forget. My mom and I were on vacation, visiting some family down in New York for the weekend. My uncle and aunt didn't have any kids that lived in the house at the time, so it was just the four of us, plus the dogs, but they stayed outside a lot. They had their own little area they stayed in at night. Now, this happened towards the end of our stay at my uncle's place. The house was a fair-sized place and it was pretty old. Every step you took, the floor would creak. They had all these old keys, and they didn't know where they went, what doors they fit in. I would hear noises from the second floor all the time, but I didn't think anything of it. The second floor is where all the bedrooms were, and mine was off to the right when you came up the stairs. It had a bathroom attached to it. I knew the noises were not the dogs because they weren't allowed upstairs at all. There were two staircases in my uncle's house, but I never used the back one, because it always had this cold and strange feeling to it. This event happened one morning. At the time, I was getting ready for the day. It was around 7am, and I was in the shower. That's when I heard the whisper. Something whispered my name. I thought I was just tired at first. I mean, it was pretty early for me to be up after all, so I just brushed it off. Until I heard it again. I was freaking out because I knew this wasn't possible. I got out of the shower, checking every corner and inch of the bathroom, but there was no one there, and the window was still closed. I called out to my mom, and I asked if she was pulling some joke on me, but she was downstairs the entire time with my uncle. I was completely confused, but still I thought it was her. Later on, after the day was over, I was in bed. I was looking at my phone, just getting settled down for sleep, when in the corner of my room, I saw the outline of a dark figure. This was very much there, not a trick of my mind. I knew then that it wasn't my mom that was playing a joke on me. I turned on the lights and the figure was just gone. I turned the lights back off and rushed back to bed, hiding underneath the covers for the rest of the night, not knowing what was going to happen. I'm now 26 and remember this all the time. It's still hard to believe. After a few years, my uncle sold that house and moved away with my aunt. I told no one about this experience, 
except for my mother, and she did actually believe me. She always had a weird feeling about that house too, apparently. Basement Mystery from Vladimir I've only ever had three possible supernatural encounters, all of which I've convinced myself was just my mind playing tricks on me due to the circumstances surrounding them. My first so-called supernatural experience was in July of 2005. I was 12 back then. My father had gone to work one day while my grandmother took my younger sisters to run errands. It was just me and the family dog then. It was summer break, and since I didn't have school, I wasn't sure how to spend my time just yet. After making some breakfast for the dog, I booted up the PlayStation 2 and began playing Kingdom Hearts. While dying to an enemy because Donald wouldn't heal me, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I could feel eyes staring daggers into my back. Quickly turning around, I saw no one. I then began to hear footsteps from the kitchen. Getting up, I headed in there. I saw Katie, our dog, sitting next to the back door. Assuming what I'd heard was just her, I calmed down. I let Katie out to use the restroom and went right back to yelling at Donald. After finally beating the area I was stuck on in the game, I saved and turned it off. I went back into the kitchen to grab a snack. That's when I noticed the basement door was wide open. Now, the basement door was always locked. It was only unlocked or open when someone was doing laundry. It was the main rule in our house, never leave the basement door unlocked. I never understood why, but seeing the bravest men and women in our family always uneasy in or walking past the basement, I obeyed that rule. But there it was, wide open in front of me. Maybe my grandmother accidentally left it open before she left. Thinking I'd be in trouble if anyone found out, I quickly went over to close it. However, as I did this, I heard a noise down in the basement. It sounded as if someone had run into an object, almost knocking it over. Had Katie gone down there? That would explain the noises. Like the token idiot child I was, I descended the stairs to bring her back up. Katie, I called out, hoping I wouldn't have to go all the way down there. I was halfway down the stairs when I heard her barking from the backyard. I had forgotten that I hadn't let her back in yet. Directly across from the bottom of the stairs was the bar. To the right was the pool table and a small sitting area similar to a living room. To the far left was the laundry room, which was where the sound was coming from. I remained there in the middle of the staircase, trying my best to come up with an explanation the whole time my dog was going crazy at the back door, as if she desperately was trying to get back inside. Hey Brett, hey, Brett. could you come help could me come with, the laundry? with the laundry? My mother sweetly asked. A wave of relief washed over me, causing me to finish the decline. However, as my foot hit the basement floor, I remembered my mother had died literally a month ago. As soon as the realization hit me, a low chuckle echoed through the basement as the laundry room doorknob began rattling, followed by more footsteps. Immediately, I turned and bolted up the stairs, quickly locking the door behind me. To feel safer, I let Katie back in and she dashed past me as if I didn't exist. For the rest of the day, 
she sat in front of the basement door, occasionally growling. Nothing like that ever happened again while we still lived in that house. I convinced myself that missing my mother made my mind create the experience, only to turn it against me once I remembered she was gone. But if that was true, then why did my dog react the way she did? The Day That I Died From Tyler K. A lot of people ask me about this experience, and I'll preface with this. If you are a Christian, religious, or spiritual, or have any firm ideas or assumptions about the afterlife, please don't let this story sway or shake you in any way. I personally don't believe in anything, so I think that's why things played out the way they did. A few years ago, my body gave up on me. I was suffering from a condition called diverticulitis. It's a digestive disorder that causes small pockets in your digestive tract. In my case, they were located in my colon. I had this issue and some abdominal pain for quite a while, before I even knew what it was. After a bit, it came to a head. My bowel ended up perforating, and I went septic and then necrotic. For those unfamiliar, this basically means my colon was so sick it was eating itself. I was put into immediate surgery, where I unfortunately died for 2 minutes and 19 seconds. In that span of time, I was somewhere else. I was floating in an endless span of darkness. I was warm though, a pleasant pressure pressing in on me from all angles, like a weighted blanket. I was happy. Then in all but a moment, I snapped back. I felt myself land back onto the cold, hard metal table. Over the next few hours, I slowly came in and out of consciousness. Apparently, at one point, a nurse was trying to put a CPAP on me as my oxygen intake was very low. Instinctively, I punched her right in the chest. If you're reading this, I'm sorry, I have a huge issue with things touching my face. After I fully awoke, there was someone in my room. She sat in the chair facing away from me. I tried calling out to her several times. I assumed it was my mother, but the figure never moved, never responded. Eventually, I started to get drowsy again. It's amazing how much surgery really wears you out. Through half-closed eyes, I watched the figure stand up and walk over to me. No, not quite walk, more like glided over to me, as if its feet never touched the ground. Within a few seconds, it closed the distance between us and leaned over me. I wasn't able to distinguish any features, no mouth, nose, or eyes, but it did have a soft glow about it. Shame. I really wanted you, it whispered. I couldn't tell if its tone was sad, disappointed, angry, or nonchalant. I let out a breath I didn't know I was holding in. I was about to respond when the overhead light suddenly flicked on. In the five seconds it took me to look at the person entering, registering it was my mother, and looking back in the direction of the figure, the figure was gone. There are many possibilities of what this could have been. I'll be the first to admit that I was on heavy medication, so it could have been a hallucination. It could have been a ghost that found me while I was in between places. Heck, it could have even been an angel. All I know is that it was soft and gentle, 
bright yet terrifying. I've not seen anything like it since, not that I particularly want to. Even if I don't in this lifetime, what I'm curious about is this. What if it was waiting for me? Is that creature what I have to look forward to? Will it be what I can expect to greet me at the end? These questions are what terrify me more than anything. I don't think that's a deer. From Sea Philly 100. My buddy and I were out hiking around the Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park area with his two daughters. It was very close to Twin Owls, if you know where that is. We were having a great time, even though the girls kept insisting to stop and draw on the dirt. It was a bit icy, so I had to put his youngest up on my shoulders at one point, and then I almost slipped, which would have been catastrophic, but luckily I didn't. So we continued on our way. The sun was starting to go down, and we figured we'd better head back down to the trailhead. My head was on a swivel, looking for cougars, which are quite common in the area, and we did have two little girls with us after all. I noticed a pair of rather large antlers peeking out from behind a tree, and I had to do a double take, because these antlers were at least 15 feet off the ground, much too high for any kind of deer or even elk. Almost as soon as I noticed them, it snapped its head in our direction, and I could see something was off about this creature. It didn't appear to have any eyes, just two solid black pits where the eyes should be, and the skin seemed to be peeling off around the empty eye sockets. Its lower jaw was hanging down, and it had teeth like those of a canid, long and sharp and somewhat yellowed. I nudged my friend, not wanting to alarm his daughters, nodding in the direction of that thing. He looked over too, then gasped. Then the girls screamed. Just then, it wrapped one of its arms. Yes, this thing had freaking arms around the tree it was standing next to. It had actually broke the tree in half before taking a jolting step forward, revealing a leg that reminded me of a giant jackrabbit. It brought its hands around to the front, similar to a praying mantis, with long slender digits ending in short black claws. The other weird thing was it had brownish fur and patches, but its flesh was very droopy, even hanging off in sections. It had a rank odor too. I watched the creature swell up its chest before letting out the most god-awful scream I've ever heard. We grabbed the girls and began to run. I could see that thing in my peripheral running alongside us about 20 yards to our left. It looked to be almost galloping and it was incredibly fast due to its massive size. We soon hit a snowfield and slid down, putting a bit of distance between us and that abomination. My friend's eldest daughter had twisted her ankle in the fall, and she was grimacing in pain. We started to hear then a low whistling sound, almost like when the wind passes over an empty glass bottle. The sound filled our ears and seemed to drown out everything else around us, then there was a loud shriek, and that thing went flying over us, landing with a thud down in the clearing below before turning and rearing up to its full size. At that point, I'm not ashamed to say I think I might have just soiled myself, and we all screamed. It looked at us, before slowly walking towards us, 
still holding its hands in that creepy praying mantis position. Even if I had a gun, I don't think it would have made a difference. This thing was easily a solid four or 500 pounds or more, a true apex predator. It let out a low and guttural growl, and I felt paralyzed from fear. People talk about infrasound as a hunting technique utilized by large cats to subdue their prey, and honestly, it felt a lot like that. It walked right up to us, and I nearly puked just from the smell. The creature sniffed the air around us. None of us could move a muscle. We were caught like deer in the headlights, unable to move, unable to utter a sound, unable to even breathe. It reached out one of its long, bony fingers toward my friend's youngest daughter, and I swear I thought I heard the thing whisper, Shame. In that moment, something must have snapped in my friend, because he went into action swiping the thing's hand away from his daughter before grabbing onto its antlers and yanking them to the side, which didn't do much, but it did crack one of the antlers in half. I grabbed the girls, and we were able to slip around to the side while it let out an evil hiss and swiped at my buddy, but he was quick and darted under its arm, stabbing it in the ribcage with the broken antler shard. I heard the thing scream, and we ran for our lives, because, well, our lives depended on it. This time, I had his eldest up on my shoulders. She was around eight or nine at the time, so not super heavy, and with my adrenaline pumping, it felt like nothing. I looked back and saw my buddy running behind us. He swooped up his youngest, and we made a mad dash for the vehicle, which was now thankfully in sight. We got to the car putting the girls in the back and hastily strapping his youngest into her car seat before jumping in and revving the engine. It took me a moment to realize we were still in park. I cranked it into gear and threw up a wave of dirt and pebbles peeling out of there. The girls were sobbing and, honestly, I felt like crying myself. We got down to Estes and called 911, but of course no one believed us. They thought it was just a prank call. Not wanting to get in trouble for calling the emergency line again, we drove all the way back down to Boulder before stopping to let the girls go to the bathroom. I'm still processing all of this, even though it happened over two years ago. But whatever that thing was, it wasn't a deer. Alien Encounter from Alien this story happened in the summer of 1996, in New Mexico, at a border town of the Navajo, Diné Reservation. I was in college away from home at the time. I came home to visit one day, and my mom told me this story, with my dad, brother, and niece confirming the account. During the summer, my parents would leave their front door open at night, while the screen door was shut, to keep the air cool in the house and the bugs out. They didn't have an air conditioner. My mom woke up in the night, hearing a voice yelling off in the distance. She listened to it. It sounded like a man yelling out as if in trouble. She woke my dad up and told him, I think someone needs help. My dad listened in and agreed something was wrong. Now to repeat myself, my parents lived in a small border town of the Navajo Diné Reservation, and just to the north of their house was the desert. My parents got up and walked out the front door and listened. 
they could still very much hear a man screaming out there. By that time, my brother and niece woke up too, and had also walked out, listening to the man yelling off in the distance. My dad and brother jumped in the pickup truck then, driving north of the house and into the desert. My mom told my niece to go next door to the neighbor's house and to call the cops. As my mom watched into the night, she could see my dad's pickup truck headlights off in the distance. My niece eventually came back, saying that the cops would be heading this way. Then my mom and niece watched the pickup truck lights about a mile away from them. They said eventually they saw a police patrol car with red and blue lights approaching my dad's truck. My dad and my brother both said they drove up hearing the man screaming still. They stopped and a patrol car pulled up behind them. They had their headlights on and walked out into the darkness with the police officer. My brother said they walked for a while in the dark and found a young man yelling, running to them. He appeared to be a teenager. The young man was saying, It's after me. It's got red eyes and every time I try to run it jumps in front of me. Just at that moment, my dad, brother, and the cop saw something with glowing red eyes looking around a large pine tree. They were all freaked out then. They all ran back over the hill to their vehicles and drove away. My mom and niece both said they saw the lights of the cop and pickup all of a sudden turn around and kick up tons of dirt as they drove away. Later on down the road, my dad and brother said the young man said he was hanging out with some friends in the desert, drinking, partying, and they left him behind. He began walking back through the desert, and this being appeared out of nowhere, jumping in front of him, as if trying to keep him from going any farther. The glowing red eyes scared the man. The county police officer agreed he saw the red-eyed being too. He told my dad, brother, and young man that he was not able to report this incident. But the cop did take the young man home. My family all told me this scary story. From what I've heard of similar encounters, these beings are somewhat of an alien type, glowing red eyes and dark, furry-looking bodies. The Thing in My Doorway From Cowgirl Kate This happened in my old house some time ago, but I remember it vividly. I had been privy to the fact that I was sensitive to paranormal things. I've been able to feel spirits and have been interested in Wicca and things of that nature as long as I can remember. Of all the strange things I've encountered though, this is the one that stands out and it still gives me bad vibes to this day. I remember it being a normal night. I would often wake up in the middle of the night just due to the fact that I'm a light sleeper. From my bed, I could see the reflection of the hallway in my TV screen, and there was always dim light coming from the kitchen down the hall, so the hallway was able to be made out relatively clearly in the screen. On this particular night, I woke up and looked over into my TV screen. I wasn't sure why, but something in my head told me to look. When I did, I noticed something crouching in the hallway. It was facing my doorway. The best way I can describe it is like a monkey-type thing sitting with its hands on the ground between its legs. I could only make out the outline of the creature, but it was standing so still, just staring into my room. I didn't dare look directly at the thing in the doorway. I would only look through the reflection. 
Immediately, all the hair stood up on my body, and an ominous feeling washed over me. I grabbed my blankets, throwing them over my head, trying to pretend that what I just saw was simply a dream. I never heard the creature move or anything like that, and eventually, I fell asleep again. The next morning, I made sure to ask my parents if they'd been up through the night or if my younger brother had been up either. They all assured me that no one was out and about the house that night. At the time, the only animals we had were a few small cats, and this thing was much larger than a cat. Fast forward to a few days later, my friend had come over and we were sitting on the floor playing a card game. I was wearing shorts and she noticed an odd mark on my left leg. I examined it closely, finding three tiny little hole marks, scabbed over and in the shape of a perfect triangle. The holes looked like needle marks that were now healing. I hadn't noticed them before, but since they looked as though they were still healing, I knew it couldn't have been more than a few days old. I then told her about the creature I'd seen in my doorway a few nights before. I think my friend and I both got chills in that moment, but we both tried to come up with other, more plausible stories. I would still love to know what this creature could have been. I've done extensive research on cryptids, and I've yet to find something that quite fits this description. Casper lives in St. Cloud, Minnesota. From Game Shark. This happened in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I've had several creepy ghost encounters in this 12-room historic house. Most of them were short and could be easily explained. DVDs being thrown around a room with no one in there could just be the wind. Running outside of rooms when no one else is home. It is a creaky house with old pipes after all. However, this story is not so easily explained. One night I woke up suddenly hearing clanking coming from the kitchen down the hall. This isn't a rare occurrence, being a big house with 12 different occupants in a college town. People are constantly coming, going, or grabbing a snack at weird hours of the night. But when the rummaging was consistent for the better part of an hour, it's enough to annoy anyone. I quickly opened up my door to catch this noisy culprit. But the moment the door opened, everything went silent. The kitchen was down the hall and it was in my field of view the minute the door opens. But no one was there. Nothing had moved and no one had left the room. An eerie silence set in. Slowly, I made my way down the hallway. Once I was in the kitchen, I noticed all the cabinets had been opened and the drawers were all fully pulled out. Hesitantly, I closed all the drawers and cabinets, turning back to go to my room. On the short trip back to my room, I thought, man, I'm thirsty. I should have grabbed an orange juice. Oh well, I don't feel like turning back now. Entering my room to get the last few hours of sleep before morning, I noticed something unexpected. My orange juice was sitting on my desk, cold. I never went to go get that orange juice. I was horrified and shocked. It had to have flown past me while walking back to my room or just apparated out of thin air. That's when I noticed a man in a brown trench coat in the corner of my room just staring at me. He didn't look malicious or vile. He just stood there. After a few uncomfortable moments, I picked up my orange juice and said, Thank you. After giving the cheers motion and taking a swig, 
The door shut slowly behind me, and as I looked to watch it close, I turned back again and the brown man had disappeared. Since then, the ghost has been dubbed the brown man. There were several other stories, such as people handing the brown man beers at parties, only for him and the beer to disappear, and searching a room for keys only to hear the keys drop on the bed the moment someone left the room. So thank you, brown man, for showing me that not all ghosts are bad. I felt a foreboding presence that froze me as I slept. From Demon Creep This small sequence of events happened when I was around 13 years old, roughly 17 years ago now. I was raised in a highly religious household, so my young mind was often filled with the idea of devils and demons lurking around every corner. This feeling was compounded after my older, more rebellious brothers decided to bring home a Ouija board one day after school. They knew my mother was going to be out of town for work much later that night, and they wanted to give the Ouija board a try. They had set it up on the floor of our living room and had begun playing with it. I refused to participate, as I was heavily superstitious. All in all, nothing too eventful happened beyond my brothers accusing the other of moving the planchette. Neither admitted to it, and so the Ouija board was then thrown away. I'm not sure if it was my young, paranoid mind at work, or if it was something more, but the entire time they interacted with that board, I felt my neck hair standing on end, with an overwhelming sense of dread attached to it. I tried to brush off that fear, but I was unable to shake it. Eventually, it all led to nightmares, and later, consistent bouts of sleep paralysis. In my room, I had one of those closets built into the wall, slightly raised off the floor with paneled doors. If they were left open at night, the interior of the closet was pitch black, and that freaked me out. I always closed the closet and latched it, so as to help me sleep since my bed faced the opening. Here is where my worst experience occurred. One night after nearly four or five days of consistent sleep paralysis, I suddenly woke up, feeling waves of menacing fear hit my body and a heavy weight pushing on my chest. I couldn't move at all, try as I might. My eyes darted to the closet then. Its doors were open, and I could see almost nothing inside, but the longer I looked into that darkness, that blackness, the more scared I became. That's when I saw it. Just inside the blackness of the closet, I could see a faint outline, long slender limbs, and a lumpy shaped head. The worst of it was what appeared to be a set of red eyes glaring at me. When I locked eyes with them, the weight I was feeling on my chest and body became more intense. I remember trying to scream as loudly as I could, but all that came out was a choked sounding moan. When I thought I couldn't take it anymore, I woke up. I could move again. I was absolutely drenched in sweat, breathing heavily. I looked at my closet, and I could see it was now closed, just as I left it. After that night, I never had another bout of sleep paralysis, quite like that ever again. When I think back to it, I never know if it was real or not. But the fear I felt, the helplessness and dread, that was completely and utterly real. 
The Thing Behind My Greenhouse From Jude W. This happened in the autumn season of 2019. Now in the living room of our house, we have our couches set against a big window, facing away from it. When you open the back door, the first thing you see is an old carport, about 30 feet in front of the door. Then off across your left is a small greenhouse about 50 feet away from the house. There's a juvenile oak tree about 5 feet behind that greenhouse. The house is old and small, as are the windows, so we can hear mostly everything that goes on outside. It's not very pleasant, truth be told, but we make do. My mother and I were sitting on the couch one evening. It was about 9 o'clock at night. I was on my phone, and my mom was watching TV. Since it was autumn, all the leaves from the trees had fallen onto the ground. We have a 25,000 square foot yard, and the most trees on the entire block, so the grass was almost blocked out by the sheer amount of leaves we had. So we're just sitting down, minding our own business, when we begin to hear the leaves rustling about. I don't think too much of it at first. After all, where we live is a pretty windy place. Then, clear as day, I hear running. Something with two legs was running through the leaves at an alarming pace. I looked at my mom to be sure I wasn't imagining things. And sure enough, she looked horrified. Now, she's an incredibly tough woman who fears nothing but to see her looking scared. That scared me more than the thing outside. I grabbed a knife and my mom grabbed her gun. We opened up the back door and turned on the porch light. Nothing, just pitch black. All our trees hide any form of light. We stepped outside and looked around us, using whatever light our phones allowed. While we could see the outline of the greenhouse, no details were really visible. I then began to hear an owl, which is incredibly bizarre because of where we live. There aren't any owls here. We live in a somewhat urban neighborhood. The closer I listened to it, the more fake this owl sounded. It was more like a man trying to sound like an owl, saying, over and over. I asked my mom, are you hearing that owl? I never got an answer, because right before she opened her mouth to speak, we heard a slow and menacing knock coming from our greenhouse. It wasn't a fast knock. No, it was a taunting knock. Whoever was watching us wanted us to know it sees us. Knock, knock, knock. My mom pointed her gun to the greenhouse, but our phone lights let us see nothing. We weren't going to dare get close to the greenhouse. That hoo-hoo-hooing continued, slower this time. Every minute or so, we would hear it. My mom goes to pull the truck into the yard to shine the headlights at the greenhouse and illuminate whatever was here with us. That entire time, I never took my eyes off the greenhouse. I was looking for any form of movement, but still nothing. Knock, 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 it continued. Soon my mom pulled in the truck and turned on the brights. When my mother used to be fuming angry with me, she would yell and get this smile, an evil twisted smile, like it was saying, I'm gonna tear you apart. Well, my mother opened the truck door and leaned out just enough so she could point her gun at the greenhouse. When I saw her, she had that smile. 
I heard the owl again, and I asked once more, Mom, do you hear that owl? This time, she responded, the smile dropping from her face, never breaking her gaze off the greenhouse. Jude, that's not an owl. That's someone trying to scare you. That sentence sent chills down my spine. I started to cry. I ran inside and called my friend, tears streaming down my face. I wanted to call her and tell her goodbye because I was convinced that whatever was in our yard had horrible intentions and that I'd never see her again. I told her what happened and she told me to breathe. She tried to calm me down but to no avail. I then heard my mom call my name, so I told her goodbye and hung up even though my friend was yelling at me not to go. I went back outside. My mom says the cops are on their way and she needs to put the gun up. I told her that I'd stay outside to keep watch. We both made the mistake of taking our eyes off the greenhouse. When she went inside, I looked over at the greenhouse. That's when I was greeted by a gray figure peering at me. It was a solid seven feet tall at least because it was as tall or taller than the greenhouse itself. It was standing behind the greenhouse, but in front of the oak tree. Its arms are what I remember most. They were so insanely long. There were no other features, no face, no distinctions on the body other than it being tall and gray. I looked at it and I had to do a double take. By the time I looked again, it was gone and so was the knocking and those hooing sounds. All of it gone, just like that. The cops arrived not too long afterwards. Two cops go to the greenhouse, guns out. One of them goes inside the greenhouse and the other one checks around it. But nothing was found. No footprints in the leaves, no signs of life. They rolled it out as maybe a possum or raccoon. I didn't dare tell them about it. I know what I saw. People don't believe me, and if you don't, that's fine. It doesn't matter to me because I know it's true. I've done research about Wendigos and Skinwalkers, but I don't know if it can be one of those because we live in an urban area. I've never seen it again. I've experienced things that aren't related to this, but I've never seen such a monster again in my life. I hope by the end of this, you realize that there are things in this world we don't understand, and to tell you the truth, I wish I never knew. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to eeriecast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host-read ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.